So we are uh, in a series, as you saw, obviously, in the announcements. Uh, if you were here last week, you know we started a new series called Love is a Battlefield. We're doing it for the month of February. Obviously, February is the love month. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Men, consider this your 24-hour warning. Hope you got something going on, or else you're going to have to work hard on an apology. But um, it's the month of love, right? So we, uh, we did this uh, same series just like this last year, or the same title, I should say, Love is a Battlefield. Uh, this is not a replica of that series. It's actually a continuation of that series because didn't really feel like I got to touch on everything I wanted to last year, and so worked out well to do it again this year and, and uh, really enjoying it. Uh, the premise behind it is just basically that there is tension in every relationship in our life. There always is, whether it's a romantic relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's your relationship with God, which we talked about last week, or if it's a relationship with yourself, whatever it is, there's going to be tension. And that's not too discourage us, it's actually to encourage us because God is the one who created relationships. So if he's the one that created it, he's also going to give us the tools and the victory that we need to live in relationship victoriously and effectively in our life. As long as we are not allowing society to determine the definition of what relationship really looks like and what love looks like, which we talked about a little bit last week. So um, I'm excited. In fact, I wanna jump right into my text verse today so if you would please stand with me as we read God's word together out of Romans 7. This is the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Rome. I'm gonna be in Romans a lot today, actually. And uh, we're gonna start in verses 18 to 19. It says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. That resonate with anyone else in here today? Last week I talked about the, the most challenging relationship that we will ever have on this earth, and that is our relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's challenging because of our shortcomings and our selfishness. Today I wanna to talk to you about the second most challenging relationship that you will encounter on this earth, and that is your relationship with yourself. Title of my message today is My Own Worst Enemy. Would you pray with me, please? Gracious, wonderful, heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God. I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for every person that's listening online or is going to be listening later. And I pray, God, that as we hear your word today, that it would do the work it's set out to do in our hearts. Lord, we want to be changed from the inside out by your word, by your spirit, moving in our lives, God. Would you help us? We thank you today that we can worship you, that we can, we can take the, uh, the sacraments, Lord, and we can remember your sacrifice for us, God. And now as we hear your word, would you do your work in our hearts? We praise you, we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you, you can be seated. So this phrase, my own worst enemy, uh, this, is a, this is a phrase that's usually ascribed to people that you would say are pretty self-destructive, right? Like we all know people like this. We would say that uh, some people are just, can't get out of their own way, right? So a friend of yours just paid off their car a couple weeks ago, and here they come rolling up to your house in a brand new pickup, right? It's like, you just can't help yourself out financially. Or, you know, somebody that has a, three different credit cards that are maxed out, and instead of working to pay those off, they just keep adding credit cards and getting themselves in financial situations all the time. And you can kind of step back and look at the situation from outside and see that, they're actually probably their own worst enemy because they're not really paying attention to their future, right? Or in relationships, you know, somebody that just always is drawn to the wrong type of person, whether it's friendships or whether it's a romantic relationship, whatever it is, 
you could just see that, man, they're just self-destructive in relationships, right? Or maybe even in their time management, and you got people in your life that complain about never feeling good. Oh, I'm tired every day, you know, but you can't get them to stop binge-watching Netflix till three in the morning. You know, they're just their own worst enemy. And you might say, well, you know, I do know people like that, but that's not me. I, I take care of business, you know, I'm, I'm smart. I'm, I, I think about the future. I, I try to do what's best for me and for the people in my life, and, and I'm good about that, so, you know, maybe this message isn't for me. Well, I would encourage you today that it actually is definitely for you because even though we can take care of things on our, in our life on the outward part, that's not everything. I, I know last week I, I talked, I mentioned briefly that you know, our, our love for ourselves is the standard that God uses for how we're supposed to love others. Jesus said, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. So, and I mentioned last week, there are no Bible verses about loving yourself because that's something we know how to do innately. We automatically take care of ourselves, right? In fact, Paul even mentions in Ephesians when he's talking about how men are supposed to treat their wives, he says, treat your wife as you would treat your own body. And then he, he, in, in the next verse, in verse 29 of Ephesians 5, he actually says, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. So we're good at taking care of ourselves for the most part. In the natural, not many of us are actually our own worst enemy, right? We're pretty good about that. And outwardly, the signs are easy to see. So you can see if someone is there, if you would say they're pretty self-destructive because there's, there's a lot of signs that can point to that. Like I mentioned, whether it's financial or relational or whatever it might be, we can see it. But you know, life is not just about what is seen. In fact, there is more about life that's unseen than there is what is seen. And this is where we can become our own worst enemy, where we actually are our own worst enemy in life. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul shows us in 2 Corinthians chapter four, he says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. So he even tells us here what we are to focus on in our life. He says, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we're actually pretty good at taking care of the temporary, right? For the most part, most of us are pretty good at that. We, we spend a lot of energy on taking care of the temporary, but that's only part of the puzzle. The unseen part of the puzzle is the spiritual side, the part that we cannot see. And when it comes to the spiritual side of life, you and me, all of us, are our own worst enemy. Because there's nothing in us that is good spiritually on our own without Jesus. And so you see in our text verse, it makes sense when you look at it spiritually and not just on the things that are naturally seen. Paul says, there's nothing good that lives in me. Basically, I wanna be good, but I keep doing evil. Now, he's not talking about the seen things here. It's very, very doubtful that Paul is saying, yeah, you know, I just can't keep myself out of financial hardships. You know, I keep making bad decisions about the people I'm in relationship with. My friends, I pick terrible friends. Uh, my, you know, the, the women I've picked to be in my life have all been terrible. I've made horrible decisions all the way across the board. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about the things we see. He's talking about the things that are unseen. He is talking about one thing and one thing alone, sin. He is talking about the sin nature that is in him that is born into each and every one of us. He is saying, in essence, in that verse, my text verse, he is saying, I am my own worst enemy. That's what he's saying to us today. Now, can you relate to that? 
You ever feel like sometimes you are a slave to your sin nature in life? I think we probably all feel that way at times. And before you dismiss me today, because you say, well, you know what, I'm a Christian. Let me tell you, this, this message today, this verse and my message today is for everyone. Whether you're close to God or whether you are very, very far from God, it is for you. Because I can tell you today that just because you are a Christian does not mean that the battle against sin is over. Becoming a Christian doesn't make the battle of sin go away, it actually intensifies it. It actually makes you more aware of the battle in your life. I mean, you might say, you know, you can mention the, the, the Bible verses that talk about, you know, defeating sin, and you can say, you know what, the Bible says I'm a new creation, you know, regeneration, we're new, the old is gone, the new has come, uh, I am dead to sin, Paul says, and we can claim that in our own life. Uh, it says that he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Paul says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free and we are no longer subject to a yoke of slavery. I, I know all those verses too, and believe me, I love them. I have got many, many of them memorized and I recite them in my mind all the time. And they are beautiful, but it does not mean that a Christian doesn't have to deal with sin. The Bible says sin is crouching at the door. It's always wanting to get at us. And we have to be aware of the reality of what it is. Paul was born again, spirit-filled, Jesus-loving God. And yet he said, the good I wanna do, I don't do. The evil I don't wanna do, that's what I do. And you know, some theologians have tried to argue, well, Paul was referring back to before he was a Christian. There's a lot of argument about that. At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter because the bottom line is, when I read that verse, I know it resonates with us. Even if you're a Christian in this place today, it's something that we all have to be aware of and deal with in our life. And it is vitally important that we are aware of this battlefield in our life because the more aware of it we are, the more we can win these battles. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's even more vital that you understand this battle. Because as a Christian, you can struggle with sin in your life and have issues that you're dealing with. You're having sin that can easily entangle you, as Hebrews talks about, and, and have to struggle through some things. But as somebody that's not a follower of Jesus, it's not a struggle, you just lose. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing in us that can defeat sin in our life apart from Jesus, nothing. In fact, Ephesians 2 tells us that we are dead in our transgressions if we do not have Jesus in our life, completely dead. There's no options. If you're trying to fight against sin in your life as a, as a non-believer, as, as someone that's not a Christian, you are bringing a squirt gun to a nuclear war because there's nothing you can do. We are absolutely powerless apart from the power of God in our life. And let me just speak to you for just a moment today. If you're here or you're listening online and you're not a follower of Jesus, I can tell you today there's, there's no better decision you could ever make than to give your life to him because he gave his life for you. He paid the price for all those sins. And I, by the end of this message, hopefully you'll have some understanding about what it looks like to fight this battle of sin in your life. But I can tell you today that, that Jesus came while we were still sinners to die for us because he loves us that much. Not just the Christians, he loves all of us. And he wants us all to be in the family of God. He wants us to be his children. He had you on his mind when he was on the cross. And you can, you can know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life if you give your life to him. 
And I would challenge you and encourage you today not to leave this place today without making that decision. Because you never know anything about tomorrow or this afternoon or any other time. And you only get one chance, or one lifetime, I should say, to, to commit it to Jesus. So to win more of these battles than we lose, we have to know and we have to understand the basics of our faith. And listen, a lot of this is not gonna be brand new material for us, but I can tell you it's so important that we are reminded constantly of who we are, of what we need, and how we live it out. It's vitally important for us. Because as I said, as we fight this battle in our life, we have to know how we can fight these battles and actually win. So I'm gonna give you three battles today of self, three battlefields of self. And the first one will answer the question, who am I? And the battle is good versus wretched. <laughs> We're just gonna come out swinging today. Good versus wretched. So there's a scale of someone that's good and then all the way down here at the end, you're wretched and then there's everything in between. And which one are you? Which one are we as people? And just like we think that we may not be our own worst enemy in life, it's easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that we are good. Because if we listen to society, we know that people are good. You know, the only people that are actually bad, the only people down at the end of the scale, the wretched part, those are the murderers, the, the pedophiles, the rapists, the people that just do the horrible stuff. That's, who, that's who's down there. Everybody else, if you're pretty good, you're good. But see, it all depends on the measuring stick that we use. How are we measuring ourselves if we would answer the question, am I good? What are you measuring yourself against? For instance, if I wanted to measure my height, and I took a tape measure, but the first foot of the tape measure was cut off. So when I started, I was already starting at one foot. Guess what that tape measure would read for me? Six foot six. That's right. Six six, man. I think my chest would just puff out just a little bit more as I walked around, you know? And I could believe it with all my heart. And I could walk around telling everybody I'm six foot six because this tape measure told me so. But just because I believe it doesn't mean it's true, right? And not only that, all of you who have any form of reference in your life would look at me and think that I was a fool for saying that. Because you would know it's not true and you would know that, well, you're just using a kind of a funky measuring tape to say whatever you want. If you're gonna do that, might as well cut another foot off. Why not be seven, six, right? I mean, let's not get out of hand here, you know? Couldn't, be, couldn't get on an airplane if I was seven, six. But it's all about the measuring stick that we use, right? And no matter how much we believe it, it doesn't make it true. And see, our tendency, I think, sometimes is to think, well, yeah, I mean, compared to God, I'm not good, but I mean, that's not the only person that I can compare myself to. I'm on the earth, I'm comparing myself to other people, too. Can I ask you, why would we use any other standard to measure ourselves other than God's standard? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it makes sense because it's what we see every day and it makes us feel better about ourselves when we compare ourselves to others. But the measuring stick that God has for us is the only one that really matters. And God says, you are to be holy as I am holy. Jesus said, if your righteousness does not surpass that of the Pharisees, it's not enough. That there's... There's no way we're going to be able to measure up on our own. And listen, this is, not a, this is not about beating us up. Actually, this is really, really good news to know that we are not enough. Because you know what else Jesus said? He said, I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. He said, I didn't come for those that think they're good enough. I came for those who know they're not good enough. I didn't come for the self-righteous. 
I came for the desperate. That's who Jesus came for. He completely rebuked and, 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 and shut off the Pharisees because of their self-righteousness. That tells us, church, like, don't try to be good enough to get Jesus to notice you. He's saying, I actually came for the sick. I came for those that are on the far end of the scale. The reality is we're all down there. It's all about perspective. It's all about whether or not we're willing to own it and admit it and know it and, and understand it in our life. Because Jesus came, that's where we meet him. I've said this before. We don't meet Jesus at the top of the ladder. We meet him at the bottom. That's where he wants to be with us. Because really, you can't get to the top of the ladder anyway. You can fool yourself into thinking you're at the top, but you're really not. And Jesus came for the sick. And we cannot live with the victory and power we need in life until we understand and accept that nothing good resides in me. Nothing good. When I measure myself against God's word and his standard in my life. C.S. Lewis was quoted as saying, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. That's a good word. Because you realize just how much you cannot do. You realize how insignificant and, and insufficient your efforts are when it comes to being good. You see, the world would say that man is inherently good. The Bible says man is inherently evil because of sin coming into the world. And it's actually important for us to embrace us, to embrace that. This is not about, it's not about trying to make us feel bad. I mean, if, if, if you were to, you know, when this message is posted online, if you wanna take a couple sentences out and clip them together, you could make me look like a fear monger and a really hateful preacher. That's not what this is about at all. This is actually the best news you'll ever hear because it's actually very, very encouraging and freeing to know that we are not enough. In fact, I will never in my life ever forget the moment that it really hit me that I will never be good enough. It was in 1999. I know where I was. I know what was going on. I don't remember what I was wearing, but I don't remember what I was wearing yesterday, so that doesn't matter. But I remember a lot of details about that moment when it hit me in here that I'm, not gonna, I'm never gonna be good enough. See, up until that point, I've lived my whole Christian life trying to prove to God how much I loved him and trying to prove how good I could be. And it wasn't until I realized I'm never gonna be good enough, everything changed. It didn't make me say, oh, okay, well, I'll never be good enough, so I might as well just do whatever I want. Had the complete opposite effect. It made me realize I'll never be good enough, and then something miraculous happens in that moment is that the power of God comes into your life. See, because Jesus said, I, I didn't come for the, the well, I came for the sick. He also told Paul, he said, my strength is made perfect, what? In your weakness. His strength can only come in as we are weak in our life, as we embrace it, not, not embrace it in such a way of like, I just wanna be hat in hand with my head down, but embracing the idea and the understanding that what Paul said in Romans 7, that there's nothing good in me. No matter how hard I try, I'm gonna fall short. Something miraculous happens in that moment. And Paul goes on in Romans 7, a couple verses later, after my text verse, in verse 21, he's kind of, expanding on what he said about not being able to do what he wants to do. He said, so I find this law at work. When I wanna do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. 
All right, uh, guys, if you'd leave that on the screen for a while until I get to my next verse, because I want you to be able to see it and look at it. But he actually says a lot here in these three small verses. He's saying, being, he said, I was, uh, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. There's something in us that still knows that we are created to love God and that everything about him is good and that we should love him. There's something in all of us to want to delight in God. But then Paul goes on to say, but I see another law at work. I see another law at work. That is the law of sin and death that is in us. And he's saying it is always right there. He said evil is right there with me. Always trying to have its way. It's always nipping at your heels, trying to get to you. In fact, when I was preparing this and thinking through this this week, it reminded me of a, a situation. It was many years ago, probably at least 15 years ago. I was doing some work at a house for somebody, and uh, I would have to go in and out of the house all day. I'd go to my vehicle to get some stuff, go back in. And every time I walked in, they had two dachshunds, dogs. And these dogs were just angry. I don't know why. They, they must have been teenagers because they were just kidding, guys, but not really. They must have been. Because every time I'd walk in, they just, just yipping at me, and I would have to literally walk kind of backwards, because if I could see them, they wouldn't run at me, but as soon as I turned my back, they'd start coming. And so I literally had to walk, kind of keep my eye on it, and one time I came through, and I wasn't paying attention, I could think I was in a hurry, and I just trucked on through, and sure enough, one of them got me, nipped me right in the heel. And man, I turned, I was ready to punt that thing to the moon, I didn't know, but I wanted to. But the, the son was right there and was watching me. So I was like, well, can't kill his dog in front of him. But, um, but you know what? It just reminded me this week, like that's exactly what sin is in the life of a Christian. Like you have to keep your eye on it. Now we don't walk around in fear of it, okay? We're not afraid. It's, not, it's, a, it's a toothless dog if we're talking about sin, right? God has taken the power of sin and death in our life, but we can give it power. And so we have to be always mindful of it because Paul says evil is always right there with me. It's always trying to have its way. That's why Hebrews tells us to be aware of the sin that so easily entangles us, to cast it off because it's always right there looking for us. And then Paul goes on in the next verse. In verse 24, he finally culminates all of this by saying this very strong phrase. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? So Paul goes into all these things. He's saying what he deals with and who he is and what's going on in his body, all these laws that work inside of him. And he finally just comes to this conclusion. Wow, what a wretched man I am. Who's gonna rescue me? Now listen, this is not Paul's self-loathing. You know, He's not looking in the mirror and thinking he's unattractive. This is, has nothing to do with anything physical. This is all spiritual. He's saying, spiritually, I know that I am wretched, that there is nothing good in me. There's no reason to think that I can do any of this on my own. Church, this is self-awareness at its finest. This is a revelation that God gave Paul, that Paul put in, that is in the word of God, that is a revelation for us today. That we, when you look at the scale of good to wretched, every one of us is down on the far end. And again, not to beat us up, but to show us our great need. And I will get to that in a minute. And it's actually, it's life-changing for us. It is the gospel. Jesus coming and dying for us, even though we were wretched. Because that's how good he is and that's how much he loves us. 
I will say though, I'm very glad this chapter doesn't end with this verse because it's very, it could be very discouraging and feel hopeless, right? But it has one more verse in this chapter. Verse 25. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The question he asked was, who can rescue me from this body of death? And he's saying, it's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. He's the only one that can rescue me from this body of death. So you might think, well, if I'm my own worst enemy, I have no hope. Well, you don't if you're on your own. But you might be your own worst enemy, but Jesus is your best ally. And he's the only ally you need when it comes to spiritually because there is no other way. There is no one else. There is nothing else. There's no determination. There's no other God. There's no strategy. There's nothing else that can ever save you from your body of death but Jesus. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So we know who we are. Now we need to see what we need. My second point is filled versus fooled. What we need. You see, Paul is saying that praise be to God, it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. But he's not talking about a head knowledge of Jesus. Okay? This isn't just an intellectual thing. I did mention last week that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So the mind is part of it. There's an intellectual aspect to it. But Paul is not saying here that just knowing about Jesus is not enough. We have to give ourselves to him. We have to be filled with the Spirit. It's vitally important that we understand what this looks like in our life to win the battle against ourselves in our life. Galatians 6 Verses seven to eight, it says, do not be deceived. In other words, do not be fooled. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Hallelujah. That's a beautiful passage. He's saying here basically, don't be fooled. Be filled. Be filled with the Spirit. And you might say, well, that verse doesn't say anything about being filled with the Spirit. No, it says, it says to, uh, to live, to sow, to please the Spirit. Now listen, whether you're talking about sowing to please the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit, there's all kinds of terms that we see in the Bible about living by the Spirit. At the end of the day, it all boils down to being surrendered in your life to the leading of the Holy Spirit through in you and through you. That's what it's about. Amen, praise God. It is about living for him. We can never talk enough about the need for the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. We should talk about it more than we do, not just on Sundays either. So much of the weakness and the lethargy and the defeat that we live with in our faith is because of a lack of willingness to surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit. I would even go as far as to say probably all of that is a, is a result of our lack of allowing the Spirit to lead us in our life. You cannot win this battle on your own, but you're not even designed to. You're not designed to. God doesn't withhold his Spirit from us. He has no desire to do that. He sent his Spirit to live in us. That's the reason. So it's not just about head knowledge, it's about being filled with the Spirit. He is here to help us defeat sin in our daily life. And now listen, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of teaching on the Holy Spirit. Some of it can get wacky, right? 
probably all heard some wacky teaching on the Holy Spirit, probably heard some talk about it, him not even being a real thing. There's all kinds of teaching, but can I tell you today, I am I'm passionately committed in ministry to help lead people to understanding the truth of God's word, not just the traditions, okay? We need to be about the truth, not just traditions. And the Bible is very clear about the Holy Spirit, that, that we get the Holy Spirit when we get saved. At the moment of salvation, we get the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. But it also very clearly talks about a filling, a baptism in the Holy Spirit that we are to desire. And I would encourage us not to let, if we've had some weird teaching, not to let that deter us away from what the Word of God says. That we should want both. We should want the Spirit that we, the Holy Spirit that comes in us when we get saved, but also to be fully submersed, as the, as the word baptism means, to be fully submersed in the Holy Spirit in our life. And to think that it's just this one-time thing is really an error in teaching because that's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible tells us to be continually filled with the Spirit. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And you see how the Bible talks about being filled, but it's not a literal, like, the Spirit fills you up from your toes to your head in some weird mystic way. It's just a word we use to help us to understand because he's saying here, don't be filled with wine because when you get filled up with wine, it actually changes you, right? If you get drunk, it changes your personality for a time. And he's saying, instead, be filled with the Spirit. If we, if we make room for the Spirit of God in our life, then he will change us too, but not in the way that wine does. It will actually be in the power of God in our life. But it's not just this one-time thing. In fact, if you look at the Scriptures, you'll see that the Apostle Peter was filled with the Spirit at least three times. In John 20, Jesus breathed on him and said, receive the Spirit. Filled him with the Spirit right there. Then at the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. He preached 3,000 were saved that one day, right? Two chapters later, in chapter 4, it says that he's filled with the Spirit again. So this is not something where we can just look back and say, oh, I was filled with the Spirit back in 1978, so I'm good. That's great if that was the first time. But you need to be filled continually, all the time. Because what allows the Spirit's power to work in your life is a continual submission to him and a surrender to him. And there isn't a human being out there that has been surrendered to Jesus for 40 years without fail. We keep laying stuff down and picking it back up. We should have huge arms for all the burdens we're laying down and picking up. We should all look like the rock, just busting out of our sleeves, right? It's a continual filling with the Spirit. This is the only way to defeat sin in our life. If you, can't, if you have to point back to something that happened to you 20, 30, 40 years ago to talk about the Spirit of God moving in your life, you're missing it. And you're not living according to the Word of God. We are to be continually filled. I pray every day that God would fill me with the Spirit. Every day. Sometimes multiple times a day. Because it's not, again, I'm not asking him to pour more stuff in me to fill me back up like it's emptying out. It's not what it is. When I'm praying for him to fill me with his spirit, what it is, it's, a, it's saying, God, help me to surrender to your spirit's leading. Help me to lay down my will and want your will more than my own. And man, like I said, a powerful thing happens. When you really do it, 
The power of God comes in you and helps you to live the life that he has called you to live in a way you could never do on your own. I would not be standing here today if it was not for the power of God in my life helping me to lay down my will and to pursue his will. I don't know where I'd be, but it would not be on this stage on February 13th, 2022. It's all about continually giving ourselves over to him in our life. Romans 8, verses five to six, it says, those who live according to the spirit, or according to the sinful nature, have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. See what that tells me? That tells me I have a choice. Even if I'm baptized in the spirit, I have a choice whether or not I'm gonna let my mind be controlled by that spirit. I have a choice every day. I have a choice every five minutes. And sometimes it happens that often. It's easy up here, but once I get down there, stuff comes all the time. So we have a choice. And if we're really gonna win the battles in our life, we're gonna have to choose to let our minds be controlled by the Spirit of God. You know, we can quench the Spirit. Paul says in Thessalonians, when he wrote the letter to the, the church in Thessalonica, he says, don't quench the fire of the Spirit. Well, if he's telling them not to do it, that means we can do it. So I can quench the Spirit's fire in my life by not being submitted to his will for me. I mean, it's really simple. The logic is actually very easy to understand. Living it out is a challenge, but we just have to get in the habit of constantly coming before him saying, not my will, yours be done. Not my will, yours be done. I don't wanna get in, any of the, any, in the way of anything you wanna do today, God. I give it all to you, it's all yours. So we have to be filled with the Spirit. How does that work? How do we live that out? I'm glad you asked, that's my third point. How do I live it? The tension is between control and trust. Now, this was one of my points last week, actually, and if you were here, I mentioned I'd probably talk more about trust and control. Well, I didn't do it, and I might do it again next week because it is such a big deal in relationships, all of our relationships, relationship with God, relationship with yourself, relationship with others, trust versus control is a battlefield today and forever. And the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our life starts and stops with our willingness to give up control to him, period. It starts and stops right there. We can absolutely quench the fire of God in our life by not being submitted to him. The reason that we often feel so frustrated in our faith, one of the reasons, I should say, that we feel so frustrated in our faith is our lack of willingness to lay down and to let go. I mean, it just, it's just the way it is. What we are saying, without saying it with our words, what we are saying with our actions is that my situation is better off if I control it. That's really what we're saying. Like, God, I can't really trust you in this because I don't know what you're gonna do. If I really wanna be safe and comfortable in this situation, I have to control it. And what that does is immediately, it limits the power of God in our life. The Holy Spirit is not someone to usurp our will and say like, I don't care what you're gonna do, I'm gonna do this anyway. Again, in our weakness, he is made strong. Another way I could say that without doing too much violence to the scripture is in our surrender, he fills us up. He lives through us as we give up control in our life. 
I would encourage you, if you think that you are worthy of your own trust, I would encourage you to read Romans 3. In fact, I'm gonna read a few verses out of Romans 3 here. Uh, Paul drops a uh, pretty big truth bomb on us. And uh, he's referring back, actually, to a couple of the Psalms and, and even a passage out of Isaiah, but he's bringing it all the way forward into the new covenant and relating it to us as Christians. Verse 10 to 18, he says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have altogether become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before your eyes. Before their eyes. Sounds like he's talking about some nasty savages. He's talking about you and me. That's what's in each one of us. It is only the Spirit of God in us that can make us anything besides that. You know, uh, Joy has told me many times that she trusts me in our marriage. Because you know, for years I was a contractor and I was on the road all day driving miles, I was all over the place and, and she couldn't really keep track of me necessarily if she wanted to at that time. But she always just told me she trusted me. But she said something that was so beautiful. She said, I trust you because I trust your relationship with Jesus. It wasn't that she trusted me, which is good, because none of us are above the things, that, the mistakes and the bad decisions that people can make, right? But it's my relationship with the Lord. She says, I see your submission to the Lord. I see you wanting his will in your life. I see your dedication to him, and because of that, I can trust you. Not because I'm trusting you, I'm trusting the Lord in you. And that's powerful. I told her, that's one of the best compliments you could ever pay to me, because it tells me that she thinks my faith is authentic. And we've said the same thing back and forth to each other, that there's a trust there, but when you see someone's relationship with the Lord, they start to pull away from God, that's when you should be concerned. That's when she needs to be tracking my phone and watching where I'm going and what I'm doing. But as you have a healthy fear of God and you're, you're, you're allowing God to have the control in your life and you're laying down your will and your purposes and you're living to fulfill his will and his purposes in your life, there's a level of trust that someone else can have in you because they can see your commitment to God. Because if you know the scriptures, you know as you're committed to God and surrendered to him, his spirit is in you to empower you to live, but not only that, but also to convict. So that when you do mess up, that's not to say I've never messed up in 22 years. I think I messed up once or twice, something like that. <laughs> A week. Uh, <laughs> um, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit has always been there. You know, in fact, I, I told the first service, I'll tell you guys too, just to, to be incredibly transparent. This morning, you know, on Sunday mornings, I come in early. I'm usually trying to be here by about 5.30 because I want to pray. I want some time to myself and just to prepare myself for the day. And, and uh, I was praying this morning and man, the Holy Spirit convicted me. Like one minute into my prayer, the Holy Spirit convicted me. And what I realized was that I was dealing with some jealousy. It's really ridiculous. It has nothing to do with anybody in this church, anybody around here. I had some jealousy that was in my heart, and I felt it, and so the Lord convicted me of it. I asked him to forgive me, and I prayed for about five minutes for that person. Prayed God's blessing on him. 
It's annoying, everything. I prayed all kinds of good, I prayed more for that person today than I prayed for you guys. But I did it for a reason because I know enough to know that if the Lord is convicting me, that there's something in me that is hindering what he wants to do in me and through me. And I believe it's more powerful if I will spend that time to make sure my heart is clean. I believe he'll do more in these services than he would have done if I'd have prayed for an hour for you guys, right? It's about trusting him. It's about giving up control and allowing him to prick your heart if he needs to. I mean, I say it all the time, but we as Christians should be living a lifestyle of repentance, a lifestyle of making sure that our hearts never get hardened towards him and that we would be desperate for him in our life. There's such a lack of desperation so often in our life, but it is the path to freedom. Our desire for him has to be more than some vague hope that we could be better, but to have the cry that Paul had, oh, wretched man that I am, because that's where God can come in when we see ourselves for who we really are. Desperation is the doorway to the infiltration of the Holy Spirit in your life. It really is. It's gotta be more than a vague drive-by, passing, God help me, but really to be desperate for him. Putting our absolute faith and trust in the Spirit of God to fill us and lead us is the key to winning the battles in our life, to winning more of the battles than we lose to becoming more into his likeness in our life, amen? Would you stand with me please and I'll close. Praise God. Let me just say this too, as we close. When it comes to trust and control, there's also, you could kind of put under trust and control, you can put freedom and fear. Because you know, you control what you fear in your life. If we had time and I had a microphone, I took it around to every one of us in the room and you just said the one biggest thing you fear in your life. I could in turn tell you unequivocally what the biggest thing you is, what the biggest thing in your life is that you control because it's gonna be the same thing. If you fear your finances, if you fear about your job, if you fear for your kids, if you fear for your marriage, if you fear for your education, your school, your friendships, your teachers, whatever that is, I can tell you without a question that's also the thing in your life you control because we control what we fear because we don't feel like we can trust God. And if I, if I can't trust God with it, and I'm because I'm afraid of it, because if you fear, you're not trusting God. So if I fear it, and I can't trust God to help me, then I have to control it myself, because I can't put it in anybody else's hands because they don't understand what I'm actually having to deal with, right? So fear will keep you from really trusting God. It'll keep you from really having the freedom that God wants to give each one of us. You know, I, I've said it before, but our, this life of faith is a paradox because to be free in our faith, you actually have to be a slave to Christ. That's the only way to be free, is to be a slave. That's what the Bible says. You're either gonna be free or you're gonna be a slave to sin. You're gonna be, a, you're gonna be subject in bondage to one of them. Now being in Christ is not a, it's not a bondage in a negative sense, it's being connected to, it's being found in him. That's his desire for us. So I wanna pray for you today. I encourage you, come to the altar. If you wanna pray up here, you know there's nothing extra special or powerful about the front of a stage, but there is something about responding and just coming forward, just spending some time to kneel before God or to stand before him. But I wanna pray for all of us that God would help us today to know who we are, that we are wretched, but not to beat us up, not to have self-loathing, 
but to, to, to help us to recognize what we need and how we live that out, okay? Let's pray together today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word, Lord. It is truth. It is life. I thank you today, God, that it is what breaks the chains in our life. Lord, we truly, truly want to be free. I pray for everybody under the sound of my voice that we would be free, that we would walk and live in the freedom that you paid such an incredible price for us to have. God, I pray that you help us to see ourselves for who we are, that we really are nothing without you, that what we deserve without you is something we don't even like to talk about. But with you, God, there's freedom, there's fullness of joy, there's joy unspeakable, God, we thank you for your spirit today that dwells in us. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit today? God, would you baptize us in your Holy Spirit? Submerse us in your spirit, God. Lord, we pray for that manifestation in our life of your spirit living in us and through us, that we would have power to live for you. I pray for the revelation. Lord, the revelation you gave me 23 years ago, Lord, I pray for everybody under the sound of my voice that's never had it, that we will never be good enough, but that we don't have to be good enough. We just have to surrender to you. Help us, Lord. Help us to do it. Our flesh doesn't want to do it. Evil is always there. It's always crouching at the door trying to get us. The, the, the good we want to do, we don't do. The evil we don't want to do is what we do. God, we need your help. Holy Spirit, come invade our lives. Invade our lives, Lord, for your glory. Invade our lives. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would invade the life of anyone here that does not know you as their Savior and Lord. I pray, God, that you would just absolutely blow their heart up with your love. Help them to see that you are worthy of their trust, of their life. That you are the only one that can truly wipe our slate clean and make us pure and make us whole. We love you so much, Jesus. We thank you, God. Hallelujah. We bless your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's praise God one more time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah.